This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Richard Osman, welcome back to Better Reading. Thank you so much. Lovely to be back and in person this time. Oh, I know, not via Zoom. It's exciting, isn't it? Oh, so exciting. I love it. I love having people in the office. Um, tell me, when was the last one? And that was the first one, wasn't it? Um, the last time we did this, yeah, it was yes. the first book, which which would have been 2020, mm-hmm. if you can remember back that far. Yeah, it okay, was, uh, COVID. Difficult times, wasn't yeah. it? I know. Uh, and yeah, now, now we're sort of... 10 million books in and four mm. down and, uh, and and the most recent one out, which is lovely. And I get it's to be out in Australia and meeting readers, which is just an absolute dream. Okay, so the first one was called... Oh, let me introduce you first. Richard is a household name in the UK. His tremendous knowledge of trivia led him to be presenting his own BBC quiz show, Two Tribes, along with, insert name here, Child Genius and Richard Osmond's House of Games. He then turned his hand to writing with the record-breaking Thursday Murder Club series. Book four in the series, The Last Devil to Die, is out now, and that's the book we're talking about today. But I want to go back to Thursday Murder Club. Mm. So that was released in COVID. Yeah. And your first fiction book? Yeah. Was it your first book ever or just your first fiction? Well, I'd, I'd written various sort of TV tie-in books, you know, comedy books and, 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 yeah. and things like that. But yeah, this was, I mean, I'd written a lot. I'd done a lot of journalism, done a lot of sitcom writing and things like that uh, in my younger years. And, you know, I'd started various novels as everybody does. Yeah. But this is the first time I just thought, no, I've got the time now to take it seriously. I think I know probably a tiny more about the bit more about the world than I did when I was younger, uh, and you know it stuck. I just started writing, and I was at twenty thousand words and thirty thousand, yeah. and I thought it's going to be more painful to stop writing now than it is to carry on. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I did it. I'm, I'm I'm delighted I did. Yeah, yeah. What do you think has resonated with people? Because you know it's a phenomena for a book. Do you know? I was only saying this to somebody the other day. And you might agree or disagree, but I really believe that books that come out and do really well are of the moment. Like Mm. I feel, like say for instance, Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code, I would say that that if that came out now, that maybe it wouldn't have done as well as it did at the time. You know, and I think that books sometimes lend themselves to the mood of what's happening in our world. Well, I, honestly, my view of that would be, you know, my, my whole career I've been a creative, so I've come up with ideas and that, yeah. that's the idea. And the thought is that you have to work out what the public want before the mm. public know what they want. So I would say, you know, Dan Brown had probably worked out there was a gap in the market two years before anyone else did. So by the time mm. his book came out, that gap was apparent and, mm. you know, he could sell books. And, and the same, you know, I've, I was sort of looking around for a book like The Thursday Murder Club and I couldn't find it. Mm. Something that wasn't sort of gory or kind of a psychological thriller with an unreliable narrator, but was a, a proper kind of old-fashioned mystery and adventure and that had some 
humour and wit and warmth to it, mm. but wasn't cosy, wasn't sort of, mm. you know, someone in a, selling sweets in a seaside town. And so I couldn't no. find that book. And then two years later... Yeah, but it, it is out. a book that maybe if you'd pitched it to a publisher 10 years ago or 15 years ago, oh, it's going to be set in a nursing home and it's got a whole bunch of old people, people would have thought, nah, hang on a second. <laughs> I don't think we can find an audience for that. But I feel that... Because you've learnt more, like mm. we're growing older, yeah. and we realise that the knowledge and the interest and the integrity and all the things that people that have lived longer give us yes. makes that's kind of I think the mood around that has changed as well. I, I, I do think that's right. I think the good. I think you know the good thing was, and lots of people who've, who've sold books will know this is I didn't pitch it off an idea. I wrote, no. the, I wrote the whole thing. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. Yeah. I just thought, you know, I, I had faith in the idea for the reasons you're saying, is that I yeah. knew I had this group of people who could do something very interesting in the middle of our culture, which wasn't currently being yep. done. So yeah. I knew I had that. And then I just thought, now I've got to write a great book as well. Yeah. But I had that. And so actually when I sent it to publishers and what have you, I wasn't kind of asking them to buy into the idea. I was saying, well, look, read this. Yeah. And, you know, they got caught up in the characters and the story and we sold it. So I think that it's, you know, pe people often say, and as I say, my, my whole career coming up with ideas, people often say, oh, it's interesting because I think people were ready for something quite warm. And I think culturally we're always ready for something quite mm. warm. We're always mm. ready for something mm. that shines, a, you know, that has some bite but also shines a light on goodness as well. Mm. And, you know, at any time we've made TV shows like that, there's a reason the biggest shows in Britain are, you know, the Bake Off and, you know, Strictly Come Dancing. Mm. People like celebrations mm. of humanity. That's mm. what people like, so long as you've got something else but as well. But I also think we've been a bit ageist. I think yeah. various cultural groups aren't, like Indigenous people in Australia yeah. have a really high regard for their elders. Yeah. Whereas here there has been, and I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but there is a tension around getting older. There's also a stigma around getting older yeah. and there's a stigma around nursing homes, you know, or aged care facilities. Yeah. And, do you know, my mum, um, I've talked about this a lot on this podcast, she died 18 months ago and she was in a nursing home. Yeah. We put it, she had dementia. And it was very contentious. Yeah. Lebanese Australian family, you know, half right. my family agreed, half didn't. Yeah. People saw nursing home or aged care facility as this big, yeah. you know, horrible lock-up prison, never to be seen again. And it was during COVID. However, I witness some of the most beautiful acts yeah. in the carers and the patients in that facility. And if you just sit back and collect stories, yep. I got so many, Richard. And one was, and my mother was never a dancer, right? She right. was, you know, very stoic, firm matriarch. And one night I was in there persuading her to take these tablets. And this young nurse, full PPE gear, yeah. this young nurse came up to her. He would have been 25, 26. And he said, Antoinette, come and dance with me. Wow. Mm. I mean, it's you know, it's, I write a lot about dementia in these books and particularly in the most yeah. recent one, The Last Devil to Die, and it's very important to me because, as you know, very few families haven't been touched by it one way or another. Mm. And I was talking to the head of one of the dementia charities in the UK and she said, if you've met one patient with dementia, then you've met one patient with dementia. Okay, mm. it's, it's different for, for everybody. Everyone. So, you know, I th think about my grandfather who, who both my grandparents spent their last years with dementia, but my grandmother declined in a very, very different way. But my grandfather, you could still sit and chat for many years. And in, I found it fascinating to work out what connections he was losing 
mm. what connections he was keeping, what skills he still had and what skills he never remembered that he ever had, how time worked for him. So I thought a lot about that. Uh, and the two things I, I really, really remember and took with me and tried to put in the books was however down he was and however awful things could be, we were, we were always laughing. Mm. You know, two minutes later, there was always laughter, mm. always. Uh, and also I remember, I remember love being the, the thing that just endured. Mm. That, that was the real power within him, understanding he was loved and understanding he was with someone who he loved as well. Mm. And so I wanted to write someone undergoing dementia, which I've done in the fourth book. I mean, Stephen's had it for, for, the, for the first three books, but I go into it in more detail and trying not to... I just wanted to sort of talk about him, really, and how mm. it must, and how it feels for him, and how, how how his mind is working, and how it's whirring. Mm. Um, and I've you know had so many chats now to people who've read the book and who've had you know parents or family members with dementia who who have been in, incredibly positive about it. Which is which is because all I could write about was the bit I knew, mm. you know. And it's mm. nice to know that it, it's resonated with people. Mm. You know, one of the things I noticed too about the dementia patients in this um, aged care facility, and and my mother, I mean, it's a horrible, horrible Disney mm. disease and there's not much to like about it, yeah. but you had to go with it, right? Yeah, exactly that. You had to go with it. And then we would, uh, you know, I'd go in some days and she'd have red nail polish on and a pink headband. Now, she'd never done that before. Right? <laughs> yeah. She'd never wore nail polish, yeah. you know. And I just thought, well, maybe it's a new, like, it's reinventing yourself, right? You know, I mean, that's, I mean... We are inexact machines. Yes. You know, and almost all literature is about, you know, the dissonance between what happens in the world and how we experience it. And in Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, it's all about that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's how we're experiencing reality and how we experience our reality. And writing about it, I found very, very moving, you yeah. know, because... You know, all of us are, are not exactly standing square on to reality, are we? No, none of us. None no. of us. I, look, I've got to tell you, I felt it was very grounding going there. And if you were open to going with it, and, yeah. you know, you could collect so many stories in yeah, a day. No, and all of them would make you cry, yeah. you know. That's exactly um, right. I want to go back to the first book and to talk about... And so you were already successful in your own right, and then you wrote Thursday Murder Club, and... It resonated. It found an audience almost immediately. Yeah. How, how is that in terms of life-changing? How did that work for you? Do you know what? No one wants to hear this answer, but but it wasn't life-changing at all. Because, <laughs> only because, you know, I'd spent, since I was 20, I've worked in television. Yeah. And, you know, I've had a few hits and a lot of failures. Yeah. I've had good shows that failed. I've had bad shows that have succeeded. So my relationship with success and failure has sort of been blunted mm. over the years. And I, I, I do treat those two imposters just the same. Mm. So for me, there was no sort of, you know, it didn't make me feel validated or anything. I loved it. You know, because mm. I love the books, and the more mm. people who read it, the happier I am. Mm. And I love it. That and the happier they are. Yeah, exactly, because it mm. spreads happiness. You that's know, right. And that's, that's all I'm that's right. really interested in is, yeah. is entertaining people. So it's lovely to come over to Australia and America and Germany and meet readers. So I love all of that, and it opens up a new world to me. But in terms of did I feel that the success was something that, you know, gave something to my life. No, because I'd, I'd, I'd long ago, and my relationship with success was cast in concrete a long, long time ago, and you have, you have to just 
get up in the morning and do your best that day, I think. Do you know, Richard, I've had a long career as well. I'm older than you, but, um, and I, you know, I've had a good career, but I've had some duds. Yes. I've been retrenched. I've had some duds. I've had some really bad jobs. I've had mostly fantastic jobs, but I feel as though in my last quarter, which I think is now, that I hit the jackpot. Great. But you know that's but that's when you should be hitting the jackpot, isn't it? Because <laughs> you should have worked out at some point. You think, yeah. hold on, I keep doing these things and they don't work. And yeah. uh, you work out, oh, these things make, make me happy. Is there any way I can just work out how to monetize these things that make me happy, just long enough that it keeps me going? That's right. Uh, and you know that's 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 all you can ask for, isn't it? But to be paid to do something that you enjoy to do, that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? And you know, if you're in your last half or your last quarter or your last eighth. Yeah. You know, it's it's there's a sense of urgency to enjoy yourself. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and to be yourself. Earlier today I went to the Lebanese bakery to buy um, mm. I decided I'll shout the office some lunch, all the, all my crew. And I ran into my in a Lebanese bakery, because my parents are Lebanese Australian, I ran into my cousin, one okay. of mum's cousin's son, Joseph, and he was in the bakery. And he said, well, can you have a coffee with me? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we sat down, we had a coffee. And, you know, I don't see him that often, but he's beautiful, lovely, lovely man. And he said to me, how did you get to get the best job in the world? Yeah. He said, I follow you on Instagram and you've just got the best job. And I thought, yeah, I don't know how I got here. It's, it's like you. It's yeah. just one thing, one thing. And, you know... Some careers are quite linear, aren't they? Yes, exactly. And others, I mean, seriously, yes, I've been in the book industry for 40 years, but but it's been in different things. And now I just get to come in and do all the good things, like talk to you. Well, well, that's it. And you have have to love stuff. And, you know, yeah, eventually, yeah, you have to sort of hang around long enough that, do you remember in your 20s and 30s when you were so terrified to ask for, like, um, a pay rise? Oh, God, you, yeah. I used to practice it. You wanted a slightly different bit yes. to your job. And you were like, it was, like, mortifying because yes. you were thinking, well, they, they can't. And then you work out after a while. You think, oh, everyone's bluffing. Yes. Everyone at every level of this organisation mm. is bluffing. And actually, sort of, they want me to hang around. Mm. And so maybe I'll just sort of start doing something slightly different mm. and, you know, then they'll have to put up with me. They're not going to fire me. That's a, <laughs> that's a pain for them. I'm not going to be, a, you know, ask for, like, loads more money. I'm just going to yeah. start doing the stuff I like. Yeah. And the book industry, you can sort of do that in. And then, yeah, and eventually you've sort of, you've, yeah. you've carved out a, a career that no one else has had. Yeah. I yeah. remember being on the bus going for a job interview at Demix, right? And ah. it was, I think it was a store manager role. I can't even remember whether I got it or not. Although back then you kind of got every job you applied for. Oh, but really? anyway, I think that's yeah. different now. Yeah. But I wanted $30,000 a yeah. year, right? 30000 And I remember on the bus just 30000 30000 30000 <laughs> Just practising that Don't, so I can like, say yeah. it. So it just came out so naturally. But my do- my, my daughter is now in the world of work and she's, yeah. she's you know, the very little advice I can still give my daughter. But in terms of she wanted to get a pay rise or, or she, she just got a slightly new job and she yeah. was trying to work out what she wanted to pay uh, and she said I want they've offered X yeah. and I want X which was five grand yeah. more than they'd yeah. offered so she said how do I go about it I said well look you're going to go into a room yeah. and the person you're talking to nothing personal is going on here but he has one job and that's to get out of that room with the five grand in his pocket and not in your pocket right that's his yeah. only job and if he does that nine times out of ten yeah. then he's doing his job Right, but you just be the one time out of ten yeah, because well. he's either going to have the money or you are. It's yeah. not like no one's going to starve, yeah. and the company's not, not going to go broke. Yeah. So either so go and be unbelievably polite, give him the problem, 
just say, oh, look, you know, it's it's half of me. Because you know I love it here, but I just, you know, there's yeah. extra money elsewhere. But if we can find a way, if we yeah. can go to five grand now, yeah. I'll shake your hand and, you know, yeah. we're done. Yeah, and yeah. that's it's the she way to do it. it. Yeah, but yeah, of course you got it. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, he doesn't mind about five grand, really. No. He just he just needs to make sure he doesn't do that to everyone. No, and he needs some room, some negotiating room. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember years ago, that was my first time I got retrenched. Now, we knew 800 people were getting retrenched, and it was... Back, you Is know, retrench being made redundant? Yes. Is that the Australian? Yes, yeah. made redundant. It was called retrenchment. I don't know whether it... Yeah, both words apply, but yeah. I think it was called retrenched at the time. And it was a really big company. 800 people were going that day. We all knew it, right? Yeah. Um, and then it happened. So they put you in a room, you know, about this size and, oh, no, terrible, terrible, wow. right? That was the lowest part of yeah. my career, right? Because I just never thought it would be me because yeah. you never do, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. And then I walk in the room and I'm super nervous, but I worked out from seeing people come and go that if you got the red folder, you were gone. If you got the green folder, I mean, how stupid of them to run it that way, right? (laughs) Anyway, so sure enough, the red folder was out when I got in there and I knew it. So it was an absolute panic in my head. And I thought, okay, pull out a stalling tactic because this is your career, this is your livelihood and just say no to everything. Now, I don't know why, but I just did it. I just yeah. like, uh, so that's it, you're finishing up today? No. <laughs> and the guy's like, you've got no choice. No, no, I'm not going. Anyway, I, because I was so nervous, because I was so shattered, yeah. I got double what they were giving me. Wow. And I ended up walking out with something like 200000 like a lot yeah, of money. Like a lot. And I remember ringing my, a friend of mine who was an accountant. He said, Cheryl, you've just won the lottery. Yeah. This is what I'm telling yeah. you. Turn this around. It's not negative. It's positive. Like, you don't like doing that job anyway. No. You and also you're even... never going to get that much money yeah, as a yeah. lump sum. Yeah. And then when I turn that around, oh, I've won the lottery. Yeah. Okay, well, that's different. Yeah, exactly <laughs> and right. And that's how you deal with things, never, right? Never waste a crisis, right? <laughs> that's the... Uh, that's right. That's the way to live. So tell me about growing up and were you a voracious reader? Were you a writer? How did, is it that you came to loving story? I was a voracious writer for sure. I was never a voracious reader. I've got my eyesight is very, very, very bad. So right. I'm very visually impaired. So the audiobooks for me are like a dream. But Aren't younger, I'm looking at books and I can't, it, took me, it would take yeah. me so long to read. So when I was very young, it was easy because I'd read Enid Blyton and Famous Five and I absolutely loved it. Right. Then when I get slightly older books I can't, I literally can't so it's not mm. you know, and audio books were like you know 27 oh, cassettes I mean exactly yeah exactly they just they did not exist <laughs> no. uh, back then but that was so bulky yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly so it was only in my 20s really actually that, that I got back into it and sort of found found a way of kind of training my eyes to, 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 to read these things but um, yes but I always wrote for sure yeah. I, I did lots of journalism in my 20s but and did you want to be a journalist yeah I did really I wanted to be a sports writer I think if you'd asked me what I wanted to be I would have said sports writer and then I got a job in TV just from the newspaper and I thought, oh, of course, of course what I want to be in is TV because that's what I watch. But I didn't, I didn't even know you could work in television. Yeah. You know, you Who got those jobs? Exactly. Yeah. It didn't yeah. occur to me that that was a job. Yeah. And so, you know, I did that, which is great and enabled me to keep writing within within the realms of TV as well. And, you know, joke writing and, and, and sitcom writing and things like that. So it was, yeah, I've, I've always, always, always got a pad and a pen yeah. In front of me, and I have done since I was sort of five years old. Yeah. I'm always, I always want to be doodling or writing something or just mm. jotting things down. And, and, and it's now I've t- turned that into a career somehow. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Because I'm, I'm, you know, a book reader, so mm. fiction or non-fiction. I've, you know, people over the years have shown me a script or a screenplay yeah. or something, and I can never work it out. Like yeah. <laughs> it's so few words. I know. I but know. I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, I find novel writing easier than script writing. Is yeah. the truth. You talk, know, cause, yeah, talk cause, to me about that. Because you know, in scripts, you do have to have a really, really kind of visual imagination to read a script. You know, there's no point reading it as dialogue because it's, you know, it's you, you need to be seeing the action. You need to be yeah. sort of hearing the music, hearing the score, seeing the colours. Uh, and if you do that, you can work out where the beats of the story are. Whereas in a book, in a novel, you know, I love to be inside people's heads, which is, of course, the first thing that goes when a book is transferred yeah. to the screen. The first thing that goes is those lovely sort of paragraph long things of someone, you know, worrying about something or thinking, have, have I just said the right thing? Have I embarrassed myself? Just anything yeah. that goes on in your head, all of that goes. Uh, and those are the bits that I love Yeah. Writing. So when you're writing scripts, I mean, sometimes it looks to me like it's a couple of hundred words or a yes. thousand words or yeah. whatever. And now you're going to what? 80,000, 90,000? Yeah, yeah. 90,000, yeah. What was that transition like in terms of discipline and how you approach work? Like, did you yeah. then go to a writer's studio or how did you work that out? No, I loved it. I, I, I you know, I write very short chapters. Right. That's, um, okay. Which, you know, it's, it's sort of for my own attention, but actually for readers I find that incredibly useful if I read a book with short chapters I'm so happy yeah you know um, it, it gives it a pace doesn't yeah. it Dan yeah. Brown was very short chapters yeah. you know and I did the same but I wasn't thinking oh this this is the way to write a hit book I was just thinking mm. I like to finish a chapter in a day you know mm. that's what I like to do I like to write 1,000, 1,500 words and I like a beginning middle and an end of a chapter I like to have moved the story on a little bit and um, do you do that every day yeah I, I, oh god I wish I did it every day that would make my <laughs> life so much easier I, I do it as many days as I have to to. Right. Because, um, okay. you know, I try and do a book a year. Yeah. Because, you know, that, that feels like um, a contract that I've signed with readers. And you know, it's to say, work. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I'll only do sort of two hours, but that two hours will be phone off, internet off. You know, my wow. fingers don't leave the typewriter, you know, the keyboard typewriter. I'm not from the yeah. 1940s. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'm very good at, once once I've sat down, yeah. I'm very, very focused. And, you know, my, my brain works quickly and, you know, the characters kind of, you know, guide yeah. me through a scene but yeah I don't I don't plan or plot or I have do an idea do you write li linear do From I write linear beginning uh, to end no no. Well, well, do you know what? Yes, I sort of do is the truth. But yeah. yeah. But I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and quite <laughs> often you'll find you're writing in a linear fashion. I, the book I'm writing at the moment, there was, there's a scene I've just written and it, it's occurred to me 
that actually it's going to happen, have to happen towards the end rather than the beginning. So it's still there, so I put it in another folder, so it's still going to happen, but it's done. But yeah, by and large, I, it's what's next, what's next, what's next, because that's how you read a book. Yeah. And so I, I, I sort of think it's useful, you know, and that's how he writes, but often in the rewriting process you have to go back and add extra yeah. scenes in to make yeah. sense of the thing you came up with you know yeah. on the last page you go oh hold on they need to reverse engineer yeah you know how that's going to work but yeah by and large i'll start at the start and end at the end when you delivered your first book what was the experience the editorial process because that would have been very different for you as well yeah well it's interesting because in tv everyone's got an opinion and yes. everyone's opinion counts Right. So they are, you know, they are allowed to chop and change your program. They're allowed to edit it. They're, you know, you have to, if the client wants you to change the program in a certain way, you have to. And in publishing, you don't have to change a word, no. which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's too light to touch for me. You know, they, they you know, they are, well, this is your art, so Should of course. Should I be careful? They might be listening to this. No, don't, because I told them. I said, I said, listen, I need, you know, I like yeah, to, yeah. and that first book, because, you know, I threw everything at it and there were sort of too, too, too many subplots. And so, you know, that's going, okay, we cut stuff out. I worked out how you make things simpler. And, you know, from then on, I sort of know what the notes are going to be. If I'm doing something that's overcomplicated or I'm doing something that bores me or I'm doing something that, you know, I sort of, you've sort of done this bit before. I just cut them out immediately. And now the yeah. note sessions are much, much, much lower. And also I deliver quite late, so they, they, don't, they don't have as much time. <laughs> but that first one, yeah, the interesting thing was make it simpler. Yes. So I, was, I wasn't ever having to add stuff. I'd, I'd yeah. lost about 15,000 words and a couple of subplots. And, and we were there, and that, that, that was the final book pretty much. But yeah, it's, I find it extraordinary how few notes there are in publishing yeah, yeah. as opposed to tv and it's very polite oh, i mean it's so polite i mean it's crazily polite you know i honestly i'm used to telly which is yeah 100 miles an hour and everyone working you know all the hours god sends and uh, and all of that and it's great fun yes i mean tv when when it's a team and you've got proper bosses yes. who are not you know when you know it can become toxic because of that but if it's not toxic if it's like a gang and you're making something yeah. it's like a joy and the, the thing i love about publishing is when i finish writing and suddenly you're in a team again yeah because you're with your salespeople and your publishers and yeah. your booksellers, you know I'm I'm a I'm an industry guy. I I love yeah. you know rolling my sleeves up and going and selling books, and that's the yeah. thing I love to do because yeah, that's that's where everyone's it's part of the job. That's where bookshops come from. That's yeah. where publishers come from. You that's need, right. You have to sell books. Yeah, and that's where we come from. Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of humour, has that been easier to translate into long form as well? Like because you aren't you know you're so funny, but to get the onto a page. I would say it would be a bit harder. Is it harder? No, I find it... You know, your brain works in a certain way. Your brain has a certain default. Yeah. And mine is either humour or it's pathos. Or yeah. so, you know, that's, that's yeah. just my natural reaction. And I have characters... I never write any jokes. No. I've never... In, you know, I never sit down and think, what would be funny here? Ever. Yeah. Ever. I never, ever do. But... I write one sentence and then another sentence would occur to me that's funny. Yeah. Or someone will do a line of dialogue, you know, Joyce will say something and you think, oh, that's funny yeah. because of character. But, yeah, so there's never me thinking, oh, what would be funny? What could I say that's yeah, funny yeah, here? Yeah, it's just yeah. my, the first thing my brain thinks of occasionally is funny. Yeah. So I write that down. But, yeah, the rule basically in these books is don't write jokes. No yeah. one-liners, nothing you could put in a stand-up act. Let mm. all the comedy come from the characters and the situations you put them in and then it doesn't get in the way of the mystery or the or, or, or the truth of the book mm. I, I think and you'll have a, a good sense of this I watch film I like t TV you know I'm liking TV more a lot of 
when I'm, and I always, before I watch anything, I do a whole lot of research around it. And a lot of the, the conversation I see around film in particular or a TV series is people talk about, you know, their experience on set and that they knew it was going to be a success because mm. everything fell into place yeah. and, you know, whatever, whatever. Did you feel that with the first book? Did you feel no. that you've got something really special? No, and also, I never, ever buy that. It's always nonsense. It's oh, all, right, that, okay. That's always post-rationalised. Well, you've always. just ruined that for me. Well, because every time you're on a set, people <laughs> go, you do a pilot and go, oh, my God, the camera operators were laughing so much, I think this is a hit. And it's right. always meaningless. It's right. always meaningless because oh, you wow. will make a show and, you know, you'll do it and then it goes out and you, you'll see it on screen and you go, oh, of course, it's rubbish. And no, we didn't spot it. We just didn't know. Or sometimes you'll go, this is good, and people will go, no. No. Not absolutely not interested <laughs> yeah. at all. No, the truth is, no. Very occasionally you'll do something and you think, oh, okay, I think we did the first ever deal or no deal in the UK, and that's one of the few times where we'd made the pilot. And I thought, I think people are going to go absolutely nuts for this show. Yeah. That if I had to put money on it, I think they will. And it's one of the few times I've been proved right. But no, with the first book, I thought, and with all the books when they come out, I thought, oh, this. I, this doesn't feel like anyone else's book, so I, I, I think this might disappear or people are not right. going to like it. Uh, and when people started liking it, that was, you know, when you're talking about they things... They instantly liked it, not started. Well, I, when I say started, I sort of mean you send it to an agent and then yeah. you send it to publishers oh, okay. and then yeah, it goes... Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and so yeah. people find, are suddenly reading this thing yeah, that, that, that was from your brain yeah. and people started saying, oh, this is... You know, and other yeah. other writers who I respected started reading it, yeah. uh, and 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 enjoyed it. And I thought that took me by surprise because because yeah. I don't think anyone's ever written a book, finishes it and goes, oh, "I've got a good one there. This is <laughs> oh, I got a winner now." And every time I bring That's a new done. one out, every time I bring a new one out, I think, "Yeah, I knew yeah. I'd, I knew I'd run out of ideas at some point. I yeah. knew I'd be found out." <laughs> uh, and so so far, it's been okay. But no, you can't. Because all you can see is what's wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you start with this big slab of marble and you've got this idea of this perfect, beautiful kind of Michelangelo's David that you're going to carve <laughs> out of it. And, you know, you can you can go, oh, it's a nice arm, I suppose, and that's a good foot. But, like, you're missing... Like, that nose looks awful and those eyes... And so that's all you can see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but you forget that when people read or when they watch TV, they are wrapped up in the story and the characters. They will sort of gloss over... There's bits in my books... That when I read them, I go, "Come on, mate! Mm. Really? You let? Mm. I mean, you, you let that go through?" Yeah. But everyone knows that about books. Yeah. If our favourite books are some terrible sentences, uh, and so I always, I love reading it, Agatha Christie, and sometimes there's like a real clunker of a sentence, and I'm like, "Thank you, Agatha." Yeah. Thank you so much because yeah. now I feel better about my, about my clunkers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of first writers say to me that uh, writing their first book was the best because they were anonymous, you know, in a way that they had, there was no pressure, they, were, they didn't have a two book contract, they, you know, that they were writing in a kind of a state of bliss or separate to any kind of expectation. Mm. But you already had a profile. You already um, were known to people. Mm. So to put that book out is really, I'd imagine, could have been quite scary because what about if it was a flop? I mean, you, you're kind of dealing with with that if that were to happen. Yeah, but again, honestly, when, when, I, when I talk about the success not making a difference, the, the flop wouldn't have either. 
I would have been proud to have written it. Uh, would you? You know, the, okay. anyone who's finished a novel. I mean, it's a real. I want to be Richard Osman. Achievement. <laughs> yeah, but, you know what I mean? That's a real achievement. And if it hadn't worked, listen, okay. don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. happier it succeeded. I take what's happened over, over that. But if it had flopped, that's okay. Plenty of people bring up one novel and people don't read it. Oh, but, you know, course. it's on their shelf forever. And, yeah. and it's, it's, I mean, it's Da Vinci Code was the fourth. And exactly that. You know, yeah. it just, you know, these things. These things happen, and it's uh, it's. I knew that people knew, knew how I was, uh, but I, you know, I was. I liked the book by the time it came out because I'd had this feedback, and you know, Germany were buying the rights, and mm. China were buying the rights, in these countries where they didn't know who I was, mm. and I thought, oh, okay, there's something mm. in this. So did I, I China did think, buy the rights? Yeah, they've everyone's bought. The, you know, it's like yeah. in every country in the world, and so I was thinking, well, something. I thought the worst that can happen is it, it just disappears. Yeah. I thought the, I don't think I've written an absolutely terrible book here because yeah. people seem to like it. So I think, well, look, I've got away with it. Whatever happens, um, but everything else on top of that has been icing on the cake. So I've been in the business for a long time. I'm not going to say 40 years, but I think <laughs> it is 40 years. But anyway, and I have lived through phenomena, right? Yeah. You know, Jaws. Um, you know, yeah, do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, of course, Da Vinci Code. I was working for Random House yeah. at the time, and Harry Potter. And the thing I have about um, phenomenas, um, and now Richard Osman, is another phenomena. Is the book world, and this is a little bit visual, so I'll try and describe it to you. So there's this many people that read all of the time, and yep. what I'm describing here is a smaller Small circle, circle yep. right? And then you go out, and there are some people that start reading around the edges, and maybe like that Stephen Hawking, a brief yep. history of yep. time that was on the top, you know, bestseller list for years and years, but not the same kind of bang phenomena. Yep. And then you go out to Da Vinci Code, to Harry Potter, to Richard Osman, and that is readers that don't usually yep. read, yep. and that's the phenomena, isn't it? When you get when you get that audience, and they are so compelled to read it, and well, that's story. That's based on story. Yeah, I, th- I I really think it is, and I think that coming from television really helped me. So I, you know, I've been in a situation with the Thursday Murder Club that you know I remember when we sold our first million and you could see in the publishers quite quite rightly they were very very happy with themselves and what they'd done and they'd done this great campaign and all of this and you know they they you, you could see and I, I I'd be in there and they go well I think I don't think we can sell anymore I go we haven't sold any mm-hmm. I mean and I didn't not in a mean way but I said mm. but actually you know I can make a TV show that 15 million people watch mm. you sold a million books which is sort of you know that's a mm. afternoon show on BBC one that's that isn't anyone to to sell books you have to sell books to people who don't read books that's the that's the key. Did you, know? you say that at the time? Oh, hundred percent. You were reading my mind at the time. But but it, but, it, yeah. but it's it's true, right? And it al- is. But also, if you do that, if you do that, then those people will go into a bookshop. Yeah. And those people, so many people said, "Oh, you got me back into reading," or you know, my yes. dad doesn't read any books, but reads this, and now he's reading Lee Child. And you you bring people into the world of books. You're like a gateway drug. Yeah. For people, and you know, there's something about the books and the, the the pace of them and the characters that people feel very people who don't often read feel very comfortable reading and I oh my god I say it constantly even now Thursday Murder Club in the UK is selling you know 8,000 books a week these are people yeah. I said most people don't even know I've written books yeah. you can be the biggest phenomenon in the world in books mm. and actually a lot of people on the street would not have the first clue you know mm. you have to be like movies or television or music you know you have to get out there and you have to really really sell mm. and if you do that then then the whole market goes up 
No, you're dead right. Do you know, um, because I've been in the industry for so long, you know, I go out and, you know, dinner party, party, whatever, over the years, and this would be the the stick. If I said to somebody, um, you know, I work in publishing or I work in book selling, the women would say, and, you know, I'm being gender-specific here because that's the way it was, oh, uh, what do you recommend I read next? This is the last book I read and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I can do that. If you tell me what your last two books are, I can tell you what your next two books are. Oh, that's great. I like that. Yeah, because I've been doing it for a long time. However, without a doubt, almost every male would say, oh, I haven't read a book since high school. Yep. Right? And then once the phenomena started kicking in, I would hear, oh, I read The Da Vinci Code or I read Harry Potter or whatever. So that's who that audience, that's that audience. That's who we get to. I mean, it's, you know, I'm I'm obsessed with all all the statistics and stuff. Are you? The the poor sales team at at Penguin UK, I'm always, (laughs) no, but the good thing about about salesmen, they're obsessed with them as well. And they they suddenly go, oh, an author who wants to see all the graphs. And Mm. I'm like, yeah, I want to see the graphs. So I see everything. And the gender split on... Thursday Murder Club is fascinating yeah. because it's it's sort of half and half, yes. and there aren't any books that are half and half. You no, know, there, there, there very are either, few. There are either books. You know, if if any men read a book, then that book is read by all. It's the entire readership is men. It's quite yeah. rare to have to have a book that crosses across. So I love that the age thing is is incredibly. You know, the, the, it's which a, is even wonderful. Graph. I love Amazing. that. I love that because empathy. Exactly that, mm-hmm. and 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 the whole point about trying to. Yeah. have these older heroes is it's not just read by older people mm. older people already know their heroes mm. you know it's nice to be read by younger people so yeah i absolutely love that i love looking at all the numbers just every chart all the sales chart all the kind of demographics and stuff like that it's absolutely that's my mm. dream i loved it in tv when you get the overnight viewing mm. figures every day mm-hmm. and and i love it i love it in books you only get it once a week mm. which frustrates me but uh, uh <laughs> I love, I love to read it. <laughs> I think it. that's when they get it yeah. once a week. So being visually visually impaired yeah. and audiobooks, I, I want to talk a little bit about audio because I'm a little bit addicted now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me when, when that started for you. Like when did you start? Because they're getting better and better as well. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, that's a really good question. And I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you the answer. I guess it's when we had like... um little iPods and stuff, wasn't it? And you okay, could, you, so you, you, you could yeah. start downloading things. Like, yeah, because I don't think I was ever... You had the odd sort of CD that I would listen right. to and like like in the car and stuff like that. But, yeah, it, it, it's the digital thing that's that's really kind of paid off, I think. And, you know, and it's such a growing market. All audio is a, a gift growing market. It's for amazing. For so many people. Oh, I mean, for me, it's, yeah. it's a yeah. dream because yeah. I can... A book takes me about half the time. If mm. I'm re- honestly, if I'm reading lessons in chemistry, mm. I'm going to be there a long time. Mm. If I'm listening to That's lessons in chemistry, exactly, German, yeah. you know, I can just wander around. I can go to the gym. I can yeah. walk. To, you know, I can walk to get to work, and I, I can listen to the whole book, and the voice of it stays in my yeah. head, and I feel very, very close to it. Yeah, um, and there's an intimacy about it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, and I love that. Um, I tell you the end. Shall I tell you how I would change audiobooks? Yeah. So I tell you the thing that drives me mad about yeah, audiobooks. Because I might pick it up as a business idea yeah. or something. Right. I do the same. Right. We, you'll do an audio mm-hmm. extra, which is like so. In my last audiobook, Last Devil to Die, I do an interview with Fiona Shaw, who mm-hmm. reads the book. Right. Mm-hmm. So we did like a twenty-five minute interview. There is no indication when you are reading that and you're looking at how much time you've got left that yeah. there is a twenty-five minute. So you think. Oh, I've still got 25 minutes left. And the book ends. And that happened with Lessons in Chemistry. Bonnie Garmus was doing an interview at the end of it. And I was, I just thought, oh, we've got about two or three chapters left. I wonder what's going to happen. And there's a paragraph. You think, oh, it's finished. 
<gasps> and that drives me insane. You need to say, the book has got 2% left, or the book has got seven minutes okay. left, and then there is a 25-minute extra. That's what I would change. It drives me okay, absolutely insane. Okay, well, one insane. of our sponsors is Belinda Audio, who produce a lot of Australian audio yeah. books, and hopefully they're listening. And then maybe you can call up someone at Audible and yeah, tell them that. I don't, know how, I don't know how you would do it. But you know what I mean? Like when no, you're reading a book, you, yeah, yeah. you know when you got to the end, mm. right? It's like yeah, you're yeah, on the last page. Do. And uh, that but, is part of the story, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's hugely part of the well, story. Well, because if you... You need to know you're coming to the end of a story. Yes. Because the the writer knows. Mm. So the writer is lulling you in, into mm. somewhere he wants you to be or she wants you to be. Mm. You know, and the, and the pace is changing and the, and the language is changing. But if you don't know, mm. then your, bra- your brain is not in that. Your brain is still, I wonder what's going to happen next. Mm. You think, oh, nothing is going to happen next. Mm. It's a minor thing. But it drives me mad, and mm. I wonder if it drives other people mad. Yeah, you feel a little bit short-changed, yeah. right? So tell me, first time in Australia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Taking and? a little sip of water there. Yeah, A little bit behind the scenes. Well, I've been here two and a half days. Yeah. I have rarely been out of a TV or radio <laughs> or podcast studio. And all, even though the weather's gorgeous. In all, in all that time, it's lovely. Yeah, I funny, funny enough, we did. I did a TV thing this morning, uh, and I, I walked back across Sydney Harbour Bridge to uh, the hotel, <gasps> which is very... I mean, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I've never been to Australia. Obviously, Britain and Australia have, have, have such close connections. They do. So it's one of those places you go to that you kind of go... Yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with this. Yes. But, you know, you, you're yes. not kind of going, go, oh my goodness, what's this place with I the... I feel that it's... Because I lived in London for a couple ah, of years. Yeah, I worked at Dillon's. Remember Dillon's? Oh, yeah, I do remember Dillon's, yes. yeah. Yes, I yeah. worked at Dillon's at High Street, Ken. Yeah. But um, nice. I... Um, yes, there's a familiarity, but there's also a huge difference as well. Yes. I see yes. that. I've, I found... So I've only been in Sydney so far. I'm just heading off to Brisbane and, um, Lovely. and, and, and Melbourne. But you know Sydney's the best. Well, it's really beautiful. <laughs> it is And I love beautiful. it. And, you know, I've only I love been, I've only been in the yeah. central bit, but, you know, the architecture I really love. Of course, the, the um, you know, the, 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 the quay is wonderful yeah. and the, the harbour. So, yeah, I love it, but it, it's, it's... I keep waiting for the um, jet lag to kick in, so yeah. I, can't, I can't quite relax into it. But right. it's... Uh, no, I love it. It's, it's, well, uh, the, it's beautiful. you should be over the jet lag now. Do you think? I really hope so, because maybe, maybe, I've, maybe um, I've escaped it. How have I managed yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, maybe you've done that. Surely not. Yeah, no, that can happen. I mean, I think if you're not feeling anything day two, you'd yeah, die. Yeah. I mean, it is a really long, long journey. Oh, my God. It, it's so long. Fire Dubai, <laughs> and it was like... It like and also, I, like, missed a day yeah, in the yeah. air. <laughs> I was like, oh, hold on. I left on Friday. Now it's Sunday. What happened to Saturday? That's right. Uh, but you get it the other way around. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. There's payback. But it's, um, it's, you know, I love Australia... Britain loves Australia. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. we, we really, really do. And to be here and to talk to Australian readers, it's so funny, though, because it's not like talking to German readers. You think, oh, I wonder what German people think of this. Because talking to Australian readers, you're like, oh, it, there's there's such an, a familiarity. There is. That, you know, and so talking to Australian readers, it's like talking to British readers. It's, yeah. it, it's sort of the same thing. Well, and also traditionally, like over the years, all, a lot of our um, uh, book content came from the UK. Yeah. I mean, that was such a close relationship. Yeah. Not not as so much now because we're publishing more here. Yeah. But for a long time, it was really largely books published yeah. in the UK. And it's not in translation or any of that. No, so it's, it's, right. it's uh, yeah, I, f- I feel a real kinship. But it's, um, I, I feel like I need to come back for like a month and yeah. like properly, you know. Yeah. Immerse the country, yourself. immerse myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, start start to annoy the Australians a little bit. Yeah, yeah. St- I think we'd start like to be that. ubiquitous. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be good. Richard Osman, thank you so much thank for your you. time. 
If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.